the competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet now your host steve joll and the art of war coaches Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Art of War. I am your host, Nick Nanavati. We actually have Paul for this episode, but recording and editing, and you know how it goes. So I'm doing the intro again, and we are here with our wonderful guest, Tom Ogden. For those of you who don't know, the premise of this show is basically going through Tom, his super awesome talents, how it works, and learning all that. And then it's part one of a two-part show. In part two, we're going to go over all of his different strategies, tactics, and approaches to various different matchups within the meta. Space Marines, Harlequins, Eldar, you name it, we're going to go over it. That's in part two for subscribers, Warrior members, uh, YouTube members, all that jazz only. So if you're not one of those members yet and you enjoyed this show, highly recommend checking it out. You get access to that along with all kinds of other awesome content. Tom, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good about yourself. I'm doing great. Very excited to be talking to you again after our wonderful previous intro. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Tom is the founder of Death to Glory. Really awesome movement. I'll, I'll give Tom a minute to talk about that as well. And also, he's quite an accomplished tournament player, just recently placing third place at Adepticon Land of the Clowns without using them. In fact, he took three Harlequin players out along his journey. So, Tom, why don't you take a second and talk about Death to Glory and what that is? Oh, Absolutely. So Death of Glory started as a small team when I, I came back to Abbey. I was gone for a while. Um, it was never meant to become what it's become now. Um, and just over time, in the first couple months, we just our discourse started blowing up. We had more and more people come on and play with us. And uh, we became a, what I like to call it more of a movement now. There's multiple Death of Glory teams, all with their own captains. But the, the biggest thing about us is that uh, sportsmanship is everything to us. Playing the game by intent, um, focusing on not just you enjoying the game, but your opponent also joining the game is like a big, big focus for us. Um, and, you know, if you see someone Death or Glory jersey and they're not uh, very fun to play against, let me know and I'll, I'll take care of it. But that's that's what we do. We like to have fun. Uh, we're pretty big in the uh, Midwest area. We run a lot of events as well. So there's a lot of there's a lot of DOG events out there. We also uh, started up the Great Lakes circuit. So you have a lot of the TOs in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin. Illinois, starting to get some in, uh, from the Pittsburgh area as well. Our band together, make sure we run games pretty well. Um, fun. Uh, we go after cheaters and bad sports pretty hard as well. So uh, really fun scene. And like I said earlier, uh, we're more of a movement than a team. Um, so, you know, just trying to be the good guys. Everyone says no good guys left in 40K. Well, here we are. Um, and like, like I said, I started a quick story about the sportsmanship. Uh, me and you talked about this adept kind of a little bit. Um you know, I was gone for five years. Uh, a lot of the hobby before was like some of the players that were uh, a lot of bickering, a lot of fighting, not very enjoyable. Um, when I was gone, I watched the game with Hugo Gropando, and, I, and it was a funny thing some of my friends showed me up and, and showed to me. And then uh, what really changed my mindset and made me want to come back to the hobby is when uh, Chester started talking to me. We started talking a little bit more at the meta, playing by intent, which wasn't really around the first time I was around. You know, you talk about fifth and sixth edition. You see a lot of play by intent back then. Um, but I watched the game with, uh, you and Siegler. And, uh, yeah, you guys played a fantastic game for everything. And it was really cool to see you, uh, you were winning. But then you came to a point where Siegler, uh, Nick's winning the game. Uh, he's about to win the game. And he literally showed Siegler, like, no, no, that ain't how this works. This is actually how the rule works. And his sportsmanship literally cost him the game. And, and the coolest 
the coolest uh, part of that for me was that he actually was more excited that Sigler won and gave him a hug and like, which is really cool to see like that type of sportsmanship that I wasn't used to seeing at 40k. Um, so I was like, you know, I want to come back. If that's how like the hobby scene is evolving or the tournaments becoming, um, you have that type of game. I want to come back and enjoy it. So I came back during eighth edition, had a lot of fun with some players. I was playing local events and it didn't take long. I said to get into the top events, I was going to like the larger ones. And, uh, the funny thing is, uh, Nick didn't know this until Adepticon, uh, him and Brad Chester are actually like, kind of like the grandfathers of DOG because I, I've really established how, what our message is, what our mission statement is, based off I watched how him and Brad play by intent. Um, and for those listening, I think, and the reason why I told this story, I think um, a lot of the mid-table and lower-table players, they like they get in this mindset that they have to play clean, um, that, you know, not that they're trying to be rude about it, but they don't focus on their opponent's feelings or how they're enjoying that game. They just focus about winning. And if you start getting the mindset where you're playing by intent and sportsmanship, I think you'll start winning a lot more. Um, because, for example, if you and your opponent have like a disagreement on something, you talk it out friendly, they're, they're more leniency on things you got to do. And the games also go a lot faster. So, for example, when you play clean, I used to struggle to get three hours into a game. Now my games don't even last two hours because I'm like, I tell them right now, like, hey, you know, just you can block out that corner, just put the models best you are. I'm not going to go over and try to find a little inch hole you left somewhere. Just do your best and we agree on it. Yeah, when you say you're talking about playing clean, it's not a, you're not being like super loosey goosey. You are just saying, we're trying to screen this area to make it impossible. You know, we have the movement to do this uh, and then move on with your life instead yeah. of getting down there with, you know, two inch co- coherency, you know, exactly to the mil- to the micrometer or whatever. I mean, just kind of just clarify just a little bit. Yeah. hundred percent. So like, say, say you have eight guys in your corner, right. And you just put them in like the, the typical H formation where you're going to block out. It's the best way to keep coherency. Instead of going over there and, and trying to measure out, make sure it's perfect. Just put them back there as fast as you can, not as fast, but like as, as clean as you can as a good speed. And I'm not going to come over and try to measure and find like a little hole. I know what your intent was. You did it out. You had the movement. You had the models to do it. Instead of you spending five, 10 minutes trying to make sure it's perfect, spend a minute, spend 30 seconds. Move on to the next thing. Games will play quicker. We get to the turn five, no problem. No one feels like they're cheated on time. Um, if I'm going to beat you, I want to beat you at your best, not at your worst. You know what I mean? That's that's my mentality at it. Uh, mm-hmm. Tom, I can't I, like thank you enough. I didn't realize I was the grandfather of DOG as you played. Yeah, you, that's, you that's and Branchester. Um, I, I really like to, I like to live by those, like those, that, that mission statement, what we do, we push a lot of there, like our teams. I, I think we're the only large team. And I guess you say, said teams that don't recruit off of, um, skill. We only recruit based off how, how much fun you're having at the event and how you know, your sportsmanship scores. That's the most important thing to us. Um, so I, I'd rather have somebody, if you go to an event and you play someone with a DOG jersey on, that you say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what you think about the guy's skill, whether he was great, good, or what. I want you to be like that guy was a lot of fun to play against. That team, they're hilarious. They show up. They, they, they hang out after the events together. They go out to eat together. They well, anyone come over and sit with them. Yeah, they got some good players in the, in the group as well. But they're a lot of fun to be around. That's what we focus on. Um, so uh, you know, and you, and you can be a good player and still have that mentality. You know, we have a couple multiple GT winners, some good players on the team. But uh, you know, we just want we want to you know play hard, but you know, be even more more fun than anything. That's that's our focus. Yeah, absolutely. We're totally in alignment here at Art of War. Obviously, we are known as some of the the toughest players you can play against on table. But we're also 
some of the nicer, at least we try to be. Sportsmanship is something we, we hold as a beacon here, and we try to be good examples of, of high sportsmanship. So I'm so glad that I could do that, and then you could take that and translate it into Death of Glory. That, that means a lot yeah, to me. Yeah, absolutely. Really cool. You know, I played Harpster at uh, uh, Adepticon, and he was literally one of the most fun games I've ever played against. You know, especially we were on stream, you know, and, and some people when you get on stream, they get like, I was like, all right, point out a war, point out on stream. Hopefully, and I, I, I met Harpster a couple times outside of the, the games, but it was the first time I played against them. And I think I called him baby boy so many times as a joke. We we're hugging each other, moving on, having fun. He was absolutely one of the best games I've ever played. It was That's, just a lot of fun. You so, know, I'm not paying was, you to say any of this, right? <laughs> this is... No, you're not paying me at all. Like, Harpster was absolutely awesome to play against. I'm actually looking forward to playing him in another game sometime soon, hopefully. That's um, awesome. so, I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, like you were saying before I come on here, you know I, I don't like going on podcasts. I go on very few. And uh, I, I have to really like the organization or the people on it for me to want to go on it. So uh, I'm a big fan of Art of War. Um, I think you guys have the right message. Um, and literally you and Brad Chester with the playing by intent and, and caring more about the integrity of the game is what made me want to come back. Um, and if you look at me before, you know, we even talked about it before, I won like three or four events before and I, I was a good player back then i've always been like, super good at chess always been great at strategy games but uh the shift in my mentality and, and kind of watching you guys how you guys go by intent and stuff and not trying to play like super clean and everything you know the model is where it's at if i can find a hole it's just your fault um i've, I've won so many events because of that mentality like more top players want to hang out with you, you get to share more strategies with them um, if, if you go somewhere and, and, and you, you go make your intent and the, and the opponent doesn't see it, or like you pre-measured, it was like 22 inches, but maybe when you moved your model, you maybe moved like a half inch behind, but they showed you measured 22 inches. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was totally a seven inch charge out of eight. You just must've not moved it right properly the first time. Like that stuff really helps you go farther. But the most important thing is that no matter who wins or loses that game, both opponents are walking away happy with each other. There's no hard feelings. There's no one. You know, shit talking you afterwards, or you're not shit talking to someone else. It's just it's a great experience, and I think the hobby really needs more like that. So I'm glad to see there's some teams starting to really adapt to that mindset and uh, pushing it. Yeah, I really couldn't agree more with with anything you just said. That's really what it's about. It also, in one thing you said earlier, it'll help you get better at the game. Can you unpack that a little bit too? How does it? How does playing nicely get you better results? <clears throat> so, um, when you're playing nicely, like when you're playing with a gentleman intent, when you're playing, you know just making sure that you and your opponents having fun. Um, first off, your games don't don't stop at turn three or four. I don't know the last time I haven't finished the game. My game's usually over in two hours because I, I approach the game and I tell the person straight up at the beginning, listen, dude, I'm one of the most easiest people you'll play against. Um, I'll literally not argue with like anything really. I, I like to talk things out. I like to discuss the terrain. Um, before we start, if you're cool with that, they're cool with that. And I, I tell them right off the bat, if you want to do something, um, just let me know your intent and I'll never, never try to get over on you. If you want to block that corner out, just put your models as fast as you can, and, but as clean as you can in a, like in a speediest fashion, block it out. If your intent is to hide this one model and you clearly could do it. And, and then I can move my one guy over. Like for example, look at mine and Brad's game and the ACO last year. He made his intent. He wanted to hide his, his, um, what do you guys call it? The, not the Ravagers, the, uh, the Drakari's, uh, transport. I can't think of the name of it right now. Raiders. He wanted to hide his Raiders. He clearly had the, the, the ability to do so in the movement. I moved my guys over the 23 inches, and one of my tag bites could see one of them. And I, I was like, all right, just move your guy over like a half inch, because you clearly could have done it. You made it your intent. 
I didn't make him like super measure everything out fast. He did it as best he can. I could still kind of see one moving over. It ended up costing me the game, but guess what? That was the right call because he said it. I don't want to argue people. I don't want to. I don't want to get a gotcha. Um, and when you play that way, and and you, and you let people be more relaxed and have more fun, they're they're that same way with you. For example, like um, if if you're going to make a movement against me, and I have like a stratagem that could probably impact you that you didn't know about. Now this is probably taking a little bit to the extreme, and I'm not pushing this. I do it. I'll let you know, hey, before you finish that movement, just to know I can, you know, or you bring something down from reserve, like, do you know I can, you know, I can uh, shoot you coming down, or I can maybe pile into you, like when I used to play Black Templars with the old uh, the old stratagems. I, I tell people that, but the thing is, they do the same thing back to me. However I treat them is how they treat me. And I don't do that as like a, as like a, uh, an advantage to my opponent. I want them to actually have fun with the game. It's just like I want to have fun with the game. A little match um, energy with it, match with energy. That's uh, yep. goes a long I, way. I, I tell everyone in the beginning, I'd rather beat you at your best than your worst. Like, I, I, I don't enjoy that. If I, if I get you because you made some mistake you didn't know about or I got you done something, I'm going to walk away from the game and not enjoy that win. Um, I'd rather lose that game. I, I completely agree. And one of the other tangible benefits is not just that you finish the games faster, uh, which is great for your like fatigue throughout a tournament, like a six, 100%. seven, eight-round tournament. You want to not be playing all three hours of every round. You want to be playing two of them and not arguing about small stuff so you can focus on the big stuff. But also, um, that reciprocity is real. Like, if I can, if I don't take that shot on your Ravager, and then I can be uh, not punished vehemently for the smallest little movement error. And sometimes yep. over an eight round, even a five round tournament, you will make those mistakes. You're a human, unless you're Richard Ziegler. So you will just make small errors, and your opponents could get you on them technically, or they could not because you understand the game's above that. I, I'm also a real big believer in like the, the zen or the energy you bring into the games. And if you leave game one upset, pissed off, not happy, you're going to go into game two with that mindset, right? And you're just not going to play right. Like If you keep yourself, if you're enjoying yourself and you're having fun and you're not stressing over these things, just like you said, mental fatigue is huge, huge, huge for these events. So you go into a two-day, three-day event. I don't know how many people I watch that are going to day two just exhausted mentally because they spent day one arguing. They didn't enjoy themselves. They're not relaxed. They're stressed out. Don't do that to yourself. Like, for me, the events are fun. I enjoy playing the games. The after hangout parties is the best for me. Meeting your friends from around the country, having some drinks with them if you're a drinker or not, just relaxing, playing board games, having fun. That's that's the most important thing to me. That, the tournament's just the byproduct for me, to be honest with you. That's my excuse to go there. But I, you're going to go under better energy. You're going to have more fun. You're not going to make less mistakes. You're going to be more energized. It's just... it's. A lot of people don't understand that. Fatigue is a massive thing for these tournaments. Mental it's, fatigue. It's also that what you had mentioned earlier as well. You People want to share their list ideas with you. They want to grow at, with you as a player because you've made a real friend at the table. Like If not nope. a friend in real life, you've at least made a, a Warhammer buddy who you can now talk to about army lists and share ideas and tactics. You get invited into their friend circle. They have a whole group. And now all of a sudden, wow, I have 10 people to bounce ideas around. I'm in the Discord <laughs> server. I'm in the Art of War Discord server, the Death of Glory Discord server. And it's awesome. Yep. And yeah, then I mean, like, there. <laughs> I have a handful of people. You're exactly right. Like, um, before I went to DepthCon, I was, so I'm like a district manager for my job, and I, and I also run DLG. So I'm like, I work like 100 hours a week, right? Um, before I went to DepthCon, I hit up Brad. I was like, listen, dude, like, hit me up with all these things. That, give me the quick down on Eldar, you know, Harkwins. Let me need, like, a week before. So let me know, know what I need to know about them. What's the most important things? I got, haven't had a chance to read the codex yet. And he literally got on a phone call with me in 30 minutes. Was, I got things I should know if I didn't get got you or anything. So, 
Um, and an another big thing I can ask, like, I can't trust enough. If, if you guys are listening to this and you're looking for some help, that mentality is the best way to do it. But I think, you know, I think Art of War has got some great talents, some great people with the right mindset. Um, there hasn't been anyone I haven't played against in a team that I haven't enjoyed my games with. Um, I literally think Nick is the not just the grandfather of DOG, but this whole plan by tent. I think um, I really, and I told you before, and I'll say it publicly to everyone, I think your games against Grappando and and uh, Siegler really ushered a new movement because the games before that, when I played at least, and I played a lot of top tables, they were not enjoyable. And it was like, okay, okay, you're trying to block me out? Well, actually, there's a two-inch gap right here. I can fit my guy here and come down and you know, that, that's what it was like. It was it was shitty. But I, I, I am very appreciative of what you've done to help the, the hobby. I was actually talking to you about some things before where I was hoping, I hope some things happen, you know, and I could be a help, helpful part of it. We can take to the next step of sportsmanship. But that's another conversation for another time. But if, if you guys are looking for help, man, Art of War, I think you guys got it what it takes. You got the great coaches, great mentality. And uh, I know you guys, one of my guys actually pays for you guys for coaching Lyle. I help him out, and he gets help from you guys, and he's had a drastic improvement this last six months to eight months, so it works. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Thomas. That, that really means a lot to me. I'm so glad. Not only can I demonstrate that sportsmanship at the top levels, which I think is so important that we, we don't stop being who we are just because there's more pressure to win, but also that I could be inspirational to you, and who knows how many other gamers. That's really, I guess, what it's all about. I want to I transition to what the actual topic of today's show is a little bit, though. Uh, I do appreciate the conversation. I think sportsmanship is a huge topic, and we could spend hours just discussing that one. Tom, you just placed third place at a super major, one in which the meta has been overrun by clowns, but you weren't playing those. You were playing a really cool army that is full of fish people, and you're doing it a little bit differently than most people are uh, as far as like weapon choices and, and system upgrades. So I want to unpack that a little bit. Tell us about your Tau list. Yeah, I'm talking about my Tau. Um, first off, I know I'm not supposed to go into reasonings and choices until second episode, but I uh, just want to say this out there. I am known for pure aggression. So I, I play my list in a way where I have very sportsmanship, but if you play against me, I want to put you on your back foot. T first turn, I want to see how you respond to someone just pressing it on you. So when you when you hear me talk about my list, you're going to see a, a theme here. Uh, um, I don't like going mass drones. One, I think they're going to get nerfed soon. Two, I want more guns. So um, I like Tau because they're, they're, they're fast and they shoot a lot. So looking at my list, I, currently what I took to Adepticon is uh, Tau Sept. Uh, I'm running uh, Supreme uh, Command with Shadow Sun. And then I'm running two patrols. Uh, one's going to have a um, Cold Star. He's basically running all burst cannons with the Relic one. Um, and he has the Warlord trait that allows you to reroll hits and wounds. It's very fast, mobile, shooty guy. Uh, one troop, uh, troop choice, which is crew in that patrol, and just because it gave me my pregame movement and they're the cheapest troop. And then I'm going to run um, crisis suits in there. So in that one, I'm going to have two crisis suits. I'm going to have one. They're all five men with two two shield drones, one marker drone. Um, they're going to have two times plasma and one time fusion on one, two times plasma, one time uh, CIB on one. Uh, and then we're going to go into the next patrol, which is a crisis commander. Uh, at Adeptcon, he was running double airburst. I believe a plasma. Let me look at the list real quick. What I ran? Yeah, he ran a plasma. And you run Exemplar of the Monka. And then they have the one troop choice recruit, once again. Uh, my pregame move and cheapest troop choice. And then another Christ suit, which that one is uh, double burst cannon and one CIB. 
and then a bodyguard of uh, crisis suits. They protect my characters, and they're double airburst. They have no drones because they just like to hide and shoot out of cover. Um, and one squad of broadsides with rail cannons and smart missiles. And the most important thing on my list, everything has velocity trackers except the airburst. They have target locks. And that's my list. All right. That looks like Tau, sounds like Tau, shoots like Tau. But everything having velocity trackers, that's an interesting choice. And Tau Sept is not one of the more commonly seen ones. Um, before we get into all those individual choices, though, what's like the general premise? Are you just trying to shoot people off the board, or is there more to it than that? Um, I love aggression. I like armies that have speed, firepower. And what's kind of cool about Tau, it's the first time, in my opinion, that we've seen something that was so fast, uh, so mobile, such high velocity, or, uh, you know, amount of shots. It also has some durability to it. So it's kind of like this unique list I really like. Um, I think there's never been an army that's fit my play style more than Tau right now. Uh, so, um, I, I use it, I use it as a hammer, but at the same time, it's a scalpel if used right, right? You know what I mean? So I can remove you precisely off the objectives I want. I can control the objectives. I don't run the enforcer where I try to give obsec to them. Um, it's all about, like, the list is all designed around stranglehold. I take it every single game, no matter how many objectives there is, because I'm always going to have more than you for this list. I'll, I'll, either that or I'm going to lose really hard. Um... The other, the other secondaries, which I guess we'll get into later, uh, change depending on who I'm playing, terrain type, um, the opponent I'm playing, not just their army. Um, but it's it's about fast-feeding, durable shooting army. That's it's, So you, you, generally, you keep saying you play it really aggressively. Are you talking about deploying it on the line or like more like you deploy it safely behind terrain and then get up the table as like a general goal? Do you take your time with it? I, I deploy on the line. Um, I think I'm one of the very few players that actually loves Cayune. Um, I love Cayune and Monka. I think Monka is obviously the stronger choice. Um, but, you know, you, you de- if I deploy aggressively and the train allows me to hide things, um, I'll, I have no problems going Cayune um, and redeploying three things because I do have exemplar Cayune because of uh, Shadow Sun. Um, <clears throat> if I deploy aggressively and I get to go first, it's Monka. You know what I mean? Well, what just, is all that? I mean, most people don't really take Cayune. That's not, you know. No, everyone takes Monka. That's all the rage. It is a bold choice. <laughs> what, what, does, um, what does that give you? Kayun, first off, the Warlord trait um, allows me to um, redeploy three things instead of one. So that's really important. So it'll allow me to um, uh, just, if, if I'm a super on the line, I can sit there and pull things back, hide them if I'm going second. I don't have to worry about things being, like, you know, just shot off the board or being alpha strike myself. Um, but instead of Monka, where you get the the, the benefits and rule uh, turns one, two, and three, you get them in turn three, four, five. And uh, first off, I can fall back and shoot, and I have exploding sixes. So that's like the most important things for them. Um, I usually play a little bit more cagey when I go Cayenne, which people are not expected of me, because um, most people when they play against me, they expect me to be super in their face. So it's kind of funny to have a game where they just see me play KG hide and then try to come at them turns three, four, and five. Um, so like I said, you can fall back and shoot. You can, um, on turns three, on a modified hit rolls of six, I believe, are exploding. On four, on modified hit rolls of five are exploding. And on turn five, on modified rolls of four are exploding. So the, the, the strategy when you're going Cayune is to play KG, get engagement range, basically, 
and, and try to win big on turn. You're going to give up turns one, basically. Turns two, you can kind of come back and try to take some of the game. Uh, turns three, four, and five is where you win massively. Um, generally, with that strategy, I just try to get Stranglehold and try to get everything else later turns. I, I, I sacrifice my crew, get my Stranglehold, and then I try to play from there on. Um, but it's just it's very undervalued, um, especially if you have great terrain. It's funny when you can, if you're going second, you're going to, I know I'm not going to do nothing turn one. So I put a guy up into reserve um, and then I just hide everything else and then try to grab Stranglehold if I can. Got the uh, first guy that shoots first turn. I can blow someone off from objective I have to hide them behind terrain again, sacrifice the crew. And then, and that's how Kyoon's played. It's, it's, it's really interesting. What's the, how do you make that choice? Cause a lot of times I see players just building a list that does Monka and then their choices and never getting to do Monka. If you have the flexibility to choose a game per game, that's very aggressive or defensive, basically, kind of, as you put it. How do you make that decision at the table? I mean, I, I look the way my opponents have played, I, and, and if I, it helps me better if I know the player as well. Because um, you got to think, when you're playing tournaments, a lot of the top players know each other. So I know their play style, what, what I think they're going to do. If I don't know them, I just make my best guess. So I'm like, okay, so if I go if I go second, if I don't go... Kind of go Monka, I have to be aggressive, right? You don't have no choice but to be aggressive no matter what, because at turn four and five, you don't have the bonus for Monka anymore. So I have to make the assessment do I have plays turns one, two, or three? Even if I don't have plays turn one, if I have to hide and trade it for turn, can I make enough movement on turns two and three to make Monka worth it? If I don't think I, I have that play, or if I don't want to get within 12 inches on turn two or eight on turn three, Kyun is a better choice. Um, do I think I can win in the back end of this game? Can I keep close enough, set them up, get them where I want them to move to, and counter them? Um, and do I think I can win massively? Because if you're going Cayune, you're going to score four or eight points maybe on primary. Can I get that 12-12-12 is my question. So, um, And you really need to do that. And, and, and um, it's not people don't expect it as well. So it's almost this built-in small advantage because everyone just automatically I, I, I think it's hilarious when I'm playing a game and like, oh, I'm like, it's time for me to declare Monka or Kayun. Like, oh yeah, no, you're going Monka. Like, no, I'm going Kayun. And they just look at me like this bewilderment, like, what? Yeah, I'm going Kayun. <laughs> what does that do again? Yeah. Yeah. So I know that that's that's the same question I was gonna ask. Can you tell me what Kayun here? Like, bro, let me just give you my book. Why don't you read it yourself and then we can talk about it. Um, you know, and half my games at Depticon were Kayun. Every game I went, Kayun, I won with 100 points. So that's even a question. Um, were they front loaded in the earlier rounds? Like on average, do you think? I mean, looking back anyway, uh, I know you take it situationally, you know, game by game. But were were you Kayun in the earlier rounds of the tournament, or were you Kayun, you know, by and large in the later rounds of the event? Uh, mostly in the middle, actually. Okay. So I had a I had a, a Kayun. One one uh, top six in Kayun. The rest were mostly in the first four rounds. But I, I, so I was I would say half. I played what eight games. So I went Kayun three times, almost half. Is this um, flexibility why you went to Alsep because you get access to example the Moncava Shadow Sun and all that, or did you just fall backwards into this because you wanted Shadow Sun and whatever else Alsep gives you? Honestly, I, I went Alsep um, because I went so hard tacked into Harley's um, and. Uh, I can get the plus one to wound stratagem, which helps out in that matchup as well. If I can try to fish for a wound or something, and then come in with burst cannons and wound them on threes. Um, uh, but uh, it just—I I like the reroll hit or wound. And now I am my current list is Borkin right now. I'm 
consider switching to Borkin right now, but uh, I like Toss Up because I was running Dark Strider for a while. I think he was super good, but what I found out from Dark Strider is um, how easy it is for another top player to just neutralize his his benefits. So I I got rid of him, um, but I really like the I can real hit or a wound. It helps out. Um, the bodyguard aura was pretty nice for a while, so I can kind of stretch out. Um, it depends if the the um, event declares bodyguard as an aura or not. Um, and uh, well, why just, does that matter? What does the aura being bodyguard matter? Um, bodyguard technically doesn't have the keyword aura, so Tau Sept gives you plus three inches to auras. It's one of their specials. So the question is: Is in Tau Sept do you get a six inch bodyguard? protection or three inches i personally think the the proper way of playing it is three inches um some events rule it as six inches some people say well it doesn't have an aura keyword but still an aura and they rule it as an aura i in my personal opinion the only bodyguards in the game that have the aura keyword is the death guard one i don't know of any other ones that actually has the keyword aura um they're all differently if you actually read in each codex but um so that could be beneficial for an event um, but uh, it also allows you to push out your commander reroll ones a lot farther. Um, so there's just a lot of benefits to it. Um, but in my opinion, the uh, plus one wound is extremely beneficial because I run a, a burst cannon squad. And uh, you know, not to go into too many strategies here because I don't want to break your guys' uh, format. Well, we, can, but, we can go uh, into strategies and just general stuff here. Part two is really about the matchup, so I'm going to break down like Tom. How do you deploy against Harlequins? What do you do against Harlequins? I gotcha. Like that. Um, if people are worried about the Harlequins. So I went three and one against Harlequins Adepticon, and uh, should have been four zero. Uh, I had a game that I got ruled something wrong with a judge. I don't want to get in details because the opponent I played was absolutely a fantastic sport. I lost in the quarterfinals to him. Um, and there was a ruling that um, I lost three of my broadsides instead of one over a way train was explained to us. And then the head judge came to us later and was like, nope, no, he should have gotten cover. So um, I think that would have a big impact in our game. Um, but the guy, the opponent I played, I, I can't say more about him. He was a fantastic opponent. It was a very fun game still, even with that happening. Uh, but nothing makes me feel better in tile player than when I roll up against two different uh, of the Void Reavers. And yeah, I can't reroll my hits, but I'm gonna have a mark light on you, and uh, I'm gonna hit you on threes because I have lost hit trackers, and I'm within twelve, so I don't get to reroll my hits. Um, but I'll have Monka on, and I get to reroll all my wounds. And because I fish a wound on something else earlier, one of the squads I'm wounding on threes with full rerolls because they're example are Monka, and it's like okay, yeah, you have four up with rerolls, and then you got like what five rerolls. Uh, this squad owes me twenty saves. This one owes me twenty eight saves. I know we and, talked about we're going to talk about matchups specifically in part two, but is this this is the velocity trackers you're talking about, right? Your whole army's all teched out with velocity trackers, and that's because of the meta largely. Yep. Yeah, you talking about Tau has fly in it big time, Custody bikes, um, Eldar, Harlequins. I mean, you're talking about all the big bad guys, even the Crusher. If you come against Crusher, which pretty much is going to be dead soon, all of it has fly. Um, and I love the plus one hit. I don't need Mark Weiss if I have. Velocity trackers. Um, I don't run a lot of marker lights. Uh, I was thinking about running um, Farsight for a while with some marker lights, but then I was realized, well, we get free velocity trackers. Why would I? I, I you know, it's just it's it's fantastic when I look at someone and like, oh yeah, no, I hit John threes, or I played against someone and they had, um, oh, I played against a Hargun player and he, he tried popping his uh, lightning reflexes. I was like, don't do it, bro. He's like, why? Well, like, save your CP. He's like, why? Well, like, I have velocity trackers and you have three marker lights on, so I'm gonna use one. Obviously, I have to. I'm going to have plus two to hit. 
no matter what, I'm still hitting you on fours, even with your minus one. And I'm outside 12 inches, so I can't hit you on threes. So save your CP. You know, like velocity trackers are just fantastic. The, I there's think so many layers to that. Yeah, I love that. Th- everyone looks at Tau like it's automatically losing its Harlequins, the big bad guy of the meta right now. Personally, I am extremely excited to have Harlequins in the meta because everyone stopped crying about Tau. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the I'm perspective of a, of a Tau player. That's one story of, of this, like of, of the show, is is that people are f- quickly forget about some of these very powerful things that you're describing, and they still exist. Yes, I still think Tau is the broken codex in the game right now. I, I, I I've lost one game against Harleys. I played five games of practice against them before Adepticon. Um, I knew I knew what Harley was in. I just didn't know what Eldar did before Adepticon because no one was running on my meta. But and then I ran against them four times at Adepticon, and just it's just. Everyone's afraid of like the double plasma fusion or double plasma CIB. The burst squad, just that squad alone will pick up two different void squads if I get the buffs out right. It's hilarious. Walk me through this burst cannon map because the burst squad is one is the weapon you don't typically see on a crisis unit. You see the plasticlics, you see plasmas fusions, air bursts everywhere, but no burst cannons. What's going on? I, they were such an MVP for me that I have upgraded them to a five man squad. They're only a four man squad at Adepticon. But, you know, you walk up to uh, a Void Squad. Uh, I'm going to fish wounds on them. So generally, they don't get to the squad until there's already been one or one or half dead Void. But for example, I walk up to a, I go up to one of your Voids. Um, I shoot it with like 40, let's see, it's 12, 24, yeah, 48 burst can shots in the four-man squad. Um, 12 CIB shots. That's going to hit you on threes because you don't get your transhuman against hits. Again, so I'm going to make sure I'm within a range. I have the auto six advancing strat or the eight advancing from um, the cold star. So I'm going to get all their shots and I'm going to hit you on threes. I'm going to have at least one mark weight. I'm going to save it for the uh, burst can. I have to shoot them first. Um, I'm not going to get any reroll to hits, but I'm going to have exemplar moncon that squad. If I'm within exemplar range, um, I'm going to get full rerolls to wound, not just once, right? So if if I usually what I do if I have a five man which is the new strategy I'm gonna put two that have uh the I'm gonna fish moves from plasma or something else do at least one one uh, unsaves to you pop the plus one to wound so I'll put twenty four burst can shots I'm hitting on threes and then six CIBs that I wound that hit on threes wounding on twos burst cans are wound on threes um the the ideal here is I'm gonna take you a mass volume of saves I don't care if you have your rural saves or whatever you have uh, a four ups a four up. You know, it's I'm gonna make you fail so many. I'm just gonna pick your squads up. Um, generally, the squads will either fully pick up a void squad, or it'll drastically weaken it, where everything else can just pick it up afterwards. And then the other squad, I'm not gonna have the plus one to wound, but I'm gonna have uh, hitting on threes with 36 burst can shots. Um, so it's gonna be 24 hits. Uh, wounding on fours, re-rolling. So that squad's going to have, what, 24 hits, 12 on So they're going to have another six. So 18 saves from there. And they're going to have nine CIBs. So we're going to get six hits. Um, and you're going to have uh, wounding on threes, re-rolling. So you're going to get, what, 7.5? So eight. Eight fail. That's two damage each. So on average, you're going to fail nine, uh, four. So you're going to lose two and a half Void Reavers from that squad. That's on average, sweet. dice. That is some sweet tech right there. I like that. And I'm sure that kind of volume fire, strain six, AP one, pew, 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 that's uh, very good into pretty much almost any profile. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, 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 there's a lot. There's some things that, that it doesn't do well against. Like it doesn't do good against broadsides, obviously, when they still have their two up saves because they're in cover. Um, anything like Terminators are not good. Uh, Blade Guard Veterans are, you know, because I don't run Target Lock. 
and you can all get in our cover for marker lights. Um, so there's 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 some things that do good against that. That's why I went over one squad. But in the current meta right now, they're fantastic. You look at Eldar, you look at um, even Crisis Suits because they have a three up save unless they have iridium armor. Um, uh, Harlequins, they're just amazing at. Nids, they're very good at. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of meta that one squad is my MVP. That's awesome. One of the questions I was going to ask is, what is your MVP? And I was not expecting you to say the burst cannon unit. I was expecting a commander or something. Oh, wow. No, it is. Um, all the top players when I play against, they always just underestimate that squad. Um, even when I played against Lennon, I, 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 he made comments about how he, he the plasma was the most scariest things on my list. So I moved. I he, he fantastic player. He makes me. I have to go first. I hide from the wall. I don't come out. So my first run is over in like three minutes. He. Does the same thing basically. So I, I brought out my two uh, crisis squads that he was talking about. I did the scariest. Let him shoot them, and then the burst squad came up and just did work because I hid those purposely because I knew I needed it for the Harlequin match. And just yeah, that's it's funny like understanding of like you knew the matchup better than he did because he misidentified what the real threat was. Well, the thing is, most Tau matchups against Harlequins is almost an auto lose because people just they don't bring as many guns. They, you don't see a lot of the quantity of Firing is usually quality, which Tau does really well. Unfortunately, when you're going against hard ones, quality fire is almost useless. You know what I mean? Like my plasma squad, which I love, they're great against everything but Harlequins, in my opinion. I only get what ten shots of plasma. I'm gonna hit you if I'm far away because I'm use the range. Hit you with five of them, wound you with three of them. Maybe you're gonna make two, fail one, use your luck of the roll, and maybe make the other one. So there's good chance I don't make any wounds on you in that. You can't really do that against burst cannons. So. Um, I made a point to, to hide those against the Harlequin players, which it probably won't work on him anymore because everyone talked about it in the towel matchup. The towel chat's talking about how to use burst cannons now, but like protect my little baby burst cannon squad because that's what's going that's what did the work for Harlequins. And since Harlequins are the big bad right now, and that's my MVP against them, that's obviously my, my MVP in the list. In the in the part two. Uh, sorry, Nick. In, in part two of the last show, we actually talk a little bit about this, like the threat assessment, the value of certain guns and uh, and and weapons. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, maybe an opportunity to take back, see all these things uh, link up and relate. Oh yeah, definitely. Burst cans are definitely fit the bill for multi-volume, medium strength into Harlequin Town. Um, you briefly mentioned earlier your, your secondaries. You're saying you always take Stranglehold because of um, your army shooting you off objectives. This is what happens. Uh, do you take that even in like a six objective mission, like recover the relics, where it's hundred percent always hundred percent time? Never, never not take it. I'll take it in a four objective mission. Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. And then what about your other secondaries? You said you're a little matchup dependent, terrain dependent. Uh, what 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 do you typically flex into? Like what determines those things? The most common one I use after that is uh, banners, because um, generally I, there's always gonna be a couple things I can't shoot right away. Um, and, and people are like, feel like, well, if you're paying all these points for crisis, you always have to shoot. No, I mean, you can look at minor harpsters game. I had one crisis squad that stayed behind a wall for like three turns. Cause it was my counter punch. If I gave it up and he got shots on it, his avatar would just walk over me, but he couldn't move his avatar because I have a, a fusion double plasma squad, just the opposite of the opposite ruin of him. And the moment he, whoever blinked first, that's, you know, that was important. So they put up banners, crew put up banners. Um, I, I, I banners is very common for me for something like that characters, um, aerospace, the Tau one is super easy to do in late games because you have 
with Tao, you're such a fast-moving, hard-hitting army that if I'm going to win the game, I'm winning hard. Um, and I could start throwing up aerospaces, turns three, four, five, max it, basically. Um, uh, bring it down, assassinate, um, Titan Slayer, whatever. aerospace work, just for those unfamiliar? That's a special Tau one. Um, basically, you look at the midpoint of each board edge. If you have unit within six inches of it, you can do an action. Now, technically, you can't do a turn five. I misspoke there because it doesn't complete to your next command phase. So you have to finish it by turn four, which a lot of people make mistakes on. Um, but if you start to action up and the next turn completes, if you get all four uh, middle of each board edge done, it's 15 points. Um, with Tau, with my play style, I either went extremely hard or lose extremely hard because I'm like a pretty aggressive style. Um, so if I'm already winning, but usually by turn three or four, the, the opponent's pretty much dead already. And off the board. Even still, though, the, the midpoint of each board edge, those are all very far away from each other. How are you going this fast around the table to complete it in four turns? Uh, I make sure that by turn three, if I'm doing that one, that I have a, I have at least one cry suit within 10 inches of each board edge. Um, it's pretty easy to do when you can auto advance one six inches, so they move 16 inches. Um, or you can make one move 18 inches with the cold star. Uh, Tau are deceptively fast. You know, and people are like, well, when they think about it, they're like, well, you have armies like Harkons that move 22 inches and they'll shoot. Yeah, that's that's super fast. That's blazing fast. But you can't tell me a 16-inch fly, 18-inch fly unit is not fast. You know what I mean? Um, like, as long as I'm controlling the middle of the board and I have the presence, I can reach all the... Um, it's all about making sure... I, you know, like, when I play, and, and Brad always laughs about this... Once I've deployed and you deployed, I've already assessed what I think you're going to do turn one. I'm going to do turn one. I've already made plans for turn two and think about how and what we do with turn one. I'm making plans for turn three. By the time turn three hits, I've already made out where I need to be by turn four to get all my aerospace if I'm running that objective. So I already have things in place um, that I know they're within the 10 inch jump. I don't have to advance if I can do the action and I, and I can take care of business. Um, it's it's not a hard one to do as long as you don't forget about it. You keep your game on, you know, the, the the mindset of playing the mission, and knowing that you have to do these actions next turn. Um, it's a it's a uh, secondary. I won't take if it's a durable army I'm playing because you can never like plan it out on that. Because if so, like, you play against Harlequins and they just spiked their dice and they somehow got your burst cannon squad up front, you can't guarantee that you won't need your firepower turn four and five. You know what I mean? Um, so it just comes down to the army I'm playing. Do I think I can hit them hard and, and take enough off the board that I can sacrifice a crisis suit for a turn or two? Because um, usually by turn three slash four, I only have to get two aerospaces. Usually I can pick one up the very first turn with my crew. I'll put one in my my board edge. And generally you can get one, the second one too, if you're like on the, like a diagonal deployment. We have access to two, you can get to two different corners. It's And it just depends. On the deployment stuff and the, the mission, but it's it's not hard to take. Uh, it gets the right ones. You I have imagine speed, you never you take it with Kalyan as your mindset. This is like Montcalm. I'm going to kill him really early no. and then figure it out later. Yes, Kalyan. If, if I look at an army and I think I'm, I'm looking at their deployment, my deployment, I'm like, well, if I get second, I have to Kalyan. I won't choose it, which is kind of hard. You have to really think about that when you're deploying or when you shoot secondaries because you don't know the deployment yet, right? So. I, I look at the player like, okay, uh, um, first off, do I know this player? Is an aggressive type? Does he run a durable army? Is it is he someone who can play cagey? Like, for example, you look at Brad Chester. Doesn't play durable armies. But I would probably never take aerospace against him because he plays in such a cagey style 
that he always has shit left by turn four or five where I have to have my units, right? Like, I don't know a game where me and Brad haven't played against each other where we just crush each other. Every game we've ever played, I think we were three and three against each other last year. Every time we played, it came down to the last turn. Because um, he just plays, he's like the he's like the anti-hero to my hero. And I do, I am the hero of my own story, by the way. But uh, not, <laughs> but he's like the anti-hero. Like, he plays in this very reverse fashion, man. He's like the one player that, like, really truly understands my style. and understand his style. And we just, like, granted, we play so much against each other because we live, like, 30 minutes from each other. But we just, we play, like, his chess every time. So um, it just comes down to how you're thinking about playing and, and the list. But that's a good one. Um, any of the killing ones are good. Yeah, never. Your army's natural. Never to the last. Never. You don't want to. I mean, you have decent to the last option. Crises and broadsides are not easy to kill, but you're just the way you play your army, you throw it all away. You ever seen the movie Unleashed? I have not. Yeah, it's um, one thing you'll learn about me is if you've asked me the question, have you ever seen the movie? The answer is no. You know Jet Li? I know of him. I've met the guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll tell you. Yes. Okay, imagine, it, so I'll talk to you, Paul. Imagine you're, you're watching Unleashed, and then the whole movie's just from the leash shine this entire time. That's what Till Last would do to me. It's like, I'd be like so afraid to play the mission and not risking my units. I don't want to do that. I want to go in your face. I want to shoot you up. I want to make you make decisions based off how you think you're going to get out of this game and see if I can outthink you. Now, I'm not going to do it in a mean, like, I, I talk about playing an aggressive way. I'm not going to do it in, like, an asshole way where we're not fun. When we're going to have fun. I'll tell you all my tips and tricks. I'll tell you about all my stratagems. I'll even tell you if you're going to make a movement where I think you don't know about a strategy I have that can impact you. But I'm going to make high risk, high reward is, is what I'm thinking about. It's like you're putting your stuff 100%. out there that can be uh, interactive in the game. It's This yep. is not, uh, I mean, it's aggressive because your pieces are exposed, uh, but yes. not aggressive in uh, mentality. Yeah. With to the last, I'd have to start identifying which squad is the most expensive, trying to protect them. I don't want to do that. I want to, I want, your list I want identifies to, it for you. It, it says it on a piece yes. of paper. What's your most expensive squads? That's actually a yeah, nice step here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know, but I'd have to think about it when I'm deploying oh. and protecting it. And, and I don't want to do anything. I, I want, I want to think about how I can impact your movement, how I can impact your thought process, how I can try to make you take one step back and make you try to fight your way out of that. I think um, that's till so last, cool just, as a mentality. Cause I think of the game so differently. Like every list I read has been last built in. Yeah, every every time I talk to another top player, they they even even um, Harpster or something in our game, like yeah, you just kind of go balls to wall, hundred percent. He's like, we we're talking about before a game. He's like, you know, like Tom, stop getting hundreds. You need to start focusing more on when he gets. No, I want hundreds. I want to swing for the fences. I'm a home run player. Um, I'm throwing haymakers the entire time. Um, and sometimes, you know what? Sometimes those decisions bite me in the ass, and I get knocked out. Guess what? I went out on my shield. You know, I'm either coming back or I'm going out my shield. Either way, I'm happy. I love it. Paul, you want to bring up your new special section that you're calling? Yeah, well, no, that's a good one. Although we covered a bunch of it in in just the normal dialogue of the show, but yeah, we do have a section on the show now uh, where we're talking about you know like brutal and cunning or cunning and brutal combos, things that may be two or three steps deep uh, that may not be necessarily readily apparent right on the page of either stratagems or unit synergies and what have you. Do you have something that you keep in your back pocket? You know that maybe you save a command port or two as, as the game progresses thinking you want to do this, uh, some kind of, some kind of deep multi-level combo, uh, that you, you find, I know you mentioned you don't surprise players with it, but even though you've described it, it may still seem impactful or surprising during the game. 
Well, I personally, and this is probably for my detriment, um, I don't like bringing on those crazy combos because I feel like it's a lot of gotcha moments in those, and I try to shy away from it. Um, but I do have some good combos, and I always tell people before, like, um, being able to go Monka and, and moving eight inches of advance with a cold star on a squad is, and, and still be able to fire full full bliss skill because of Monka or the six inches. Um, some things I do, though, that catch people off guard. So people look at burst cans. I'm in Monka range, and they're like, yeah, you're AP1 because you're Monka. No, I can make him AP2. I'm going to pick this squad, this squad, coordinate, fire it, get another AP on there. And that catches people off guard. We can get, like, AP2 burst cannons with that many shots that are rerolling hits if I'm not going to Tarek wins because of Shadow Sun and rerolling wounds because Exemplar. Like, that That just drives people crazy right there. Um, but, like, the the thing is, like, also, my burst cannons is that I will literally uh, try to fish for wounds. And I mentioned this earlier. Like, I'll, I'll shoot some other things. I'll spread out my fire. But I'm always trying to chase one unsaved wound on the squad. I want my burst cannons to be their main target. Because then I hit that very juicy tower step plus one wound stratagem, um, which just makes burst cannons go to hyper-efficient. So um, that's my biggest combo on that list. Uh, people grossly underestimate velocity trackers with burst cannons. Uh, with shafts on reroll and the exemplar reroll um, at AP2. Like, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Cayune um, is another thing that we're talking about, a little bit of a combo. Um, being able to deploy super aggressive, and people just automatically assume you're going Monka, and then look at them and be like, no, I'm going to go Cayune this game. And I'm going to take these two squads off the line, put them behind this piece of train, can't see nothing, I pre-measure everything. So, you, like, like it, it catches people off guard when I go Cayune, and I will literally pre-measure with them. Like, okay, I'm going to move. I'm moving, what's the fastest a squad can move? Can they advance and shoot? Can do any kind of move shenanigans. Nope. Okay. So they can move, say, maximum 10 inches. So if we go here in the most direct point, the most optimal way, I move 10 inches. Can you can you tell me they get any line sight in the squad? They can't? Great. I do that for every one of their units. I make sure they can't shoot nothing. I'll put a squad up in the sky. Always when I do Cayune because I'm I'm not coming out turn one. I'm being honest with you. If you ever see me, if you're playing against me, I'll even tell you this when we're playing table. If I'm declaring Cayune, you will not see me come out turn one. I will start to peak turn two if I can get the opportunity to stop. But I'm coming at you turn three, four, five, and I'm coming hard. Um, so I don't care if I have something reserved because I can't get it until I usually peek in anyways. Um, but that that catches people off a lot when I declare that Cayune. I got I got uh, Shadow Sun putting three units redeployed. Um, and I will literally pre-measure everything you have, look at your maximum distance that you can move, how you can shoot, talk about your maximum threats. Like, like even if you roll double twelves, you can't declare, you know, you can't charge it. Quit, cool. Fantastic. So I make them agree with me on it and then move from there. I mean, I don't have too many crazy combos um, with this list. Now, if we're talking about my Templars at LVO, I had a lot of crazy combos on that one. This one is... Uh, hey, no spoilers. We'll have a Templar episode coming up in the yeah. future. I, dibs on that, by the way. Templar is my favorite faction. We'd love to have you back, Tom. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Hey, well, hey, listen, Dick. The conversation is not over. Uh, part one is over. That's right. Uh, we're going to have uh, part two. Stuff. Yeah, uh, for subscribers, uh, consider doing that if you haven't already. Uh, if you are listening to this uh, on the podcast aggregators out there in the wild, uh, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, let us know uh, that you found us and let us know what kind of stuff you might want to hear in the future. I also want to hear uh, maybe some comments from folks about what percentage they see themselves going Kion. I mean, is it something that everyone thought Monka was you know, amazing in the beginning, but now we have more you know, Kion adopters? As as the uh, the meta and the ecosystems uh, continues to evolve. Well, also, the plug in one more thing for you guys. 
don't just subscribe to their podcast for this one. Check out Unbroken. That is the coolest podcast in the world right now, in my opinion. I love you guys on Unbroken Podcast. Not only because Blake Law is an awesome person and human being to talk to, you guys go over some really awesome shit on that podcast. So I actually recommend all my DOG guys to actually listen to you guys on Unbroken. Um, so not to steal anything from this one, because, you know, you two are awesome, but the Unbroken is pretty awesome as well. Hey, no, can't can't put it any better than that. So uh, part one, wrapping this up. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have part two in just a minute. Go find us over there. Uh, Nick, you got anything else you want to say before we wrap up with uh, Thomas in part one? excited about is I'm actually going to the MZM, Tom, and uh, I'm really excited for one for our game. We're going to do a little hype battle before the tournament, but we're also teaching classes there. So I know you're hosting the Super Major, and thankfully enough, you've invited us to. We're very grateful for that. And we'll be teaching a beginner's class and an advanced class. It'll be me and Jack Harpster. Me and Brad Chester will get in on that. We'll be doing uh, two different classes. Basically, we're calling it the War Room Lives. We're giving that real live aspect of the coaching to you. So if you're, this is the Thursday night before the event. If you're going to MCM, Motor City Mayhem, and you happen to be coming by, or even if you're not playing, but you want to learn about 40K and how to get better at it, uh, check it out. We'll be teaching. You can find classes, uh, the tickets for those classes on your website. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing I like to say about MCM, we're at uh, over 160 tickets sold so far. We sold out last year at a 128 with 60 people on the wait list. Uh, we're trending to probably be right around 220, I think, from our projection trends from what we're sold right now. Have other events. We have uh, an RTT going on Sunday. We have doubles going on Sunday. Uh, the championships is Friday, Saturday. Top 16 Sunday. Um, Age of Sigmar, everything. We're starting to evolve it into more events. Uh, but one thing I want to say, like, and, and before I say this, I want to put out there, I have no money involved with their classes. That's all of them. We didn't take any cut of them. I'm not getting paid to say this. I, I've always said people before, um, Nick is one of the two people that influenced me to come back to the game. I really like to play by intent. And, uh, even though I always say, like, DOG is kind of its own thing where we don't recruit off skill or we just go off basic off sportsmanship. If there's one team you want to learn about that you want to pay, to get you know, to help develop you as learning about how to prepare for a GT, what kind of list to build, how to play your list, I think Art of War is one of the best in the world at it. They, they, they don't only just kick butt on the table. They do it with style. They do it with sportsmanship. Can't, can't get anything better than that. So definitely check out their classes. Once again, I get no monetary return from you going to their classes. That's 100% with them. Um, but yeah, the event's going to be fantastic. We got, uh, a lot of money in our train. We, that's our shtick. We, you know, we love our train. Everything, every table is designed as a table by train makers and a theme, very functional, very balanced on the tables, but it also looks pretty. And then, uh, like I said, DLG, we're all about sportsmanship, playing, playing by intent, uh, having enjoyable games and kind of enforce that mentality. So if you're looking for a place to come and play some nice, friendly, competitive games and relax at a cool hotel, check us out in D- Detroit. I believe it's the May 13th. Um, please don't get mad at me when I don't know the date off the top of my head because I've been so busy, but uh, check us out. Three-day event. It's going to be fantastic. Can't wait to hang out with Art of War. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Oh, thank you, brother. Yeah, sure thing. So if you... We have a whole competitive 40K podcast network. Unbroken is one of our shows where we cover someone who's gone X and 1 or X and 2 and focus on how they can get better, what mistakes they made in their games. Part 2 of this show, we're going to be going over all of the matchups. We're going to take Thomas's list and go through how he approaches Harlequins, Eldar, Tyranids, all those great secret tech choices like the Burst Cannons. You can also join the War Room. That's where we have a whole 40K community of really knowledgeable players, some world-class talent, and a lot of players who are just like you trying to get better at this game. It's really positive. Sportsmanship is super emphasized. And it's all just people trying to get better. So if you want to become part of that 40K community and elevate your game, that is the place to do it. Check it out. and We'll see you in part two, everyone. See you in a few minutes.
Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com